This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cammie here. This week's episode is a chat with YouTuber slash influencer slash BuzzFeed guy, one of the Try Guys, Eugene Lee Yang. Ooh, boy. This person, I have to say, looks extremely good in drag. Also, it's a great conversation. And additionally, if you live in Montreal, I am going to be there for like, I think, seven shows um, at the end of the month. So you could check out CameronEsposito.com. For more information, hopefully by the time this is released, I will have updated my website. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on, darling, I know, I know, I know it's careless. I always start the show by having folks introduce themselves. Would you introduce yourself? My goodness. Oh, I'm going to be my worst hype man. Uh, I am Eugene Lee Yang. Uh, I'm a writer, director, producer, actor, but mostly known for the digital content I've created and performed over the past six years online. Yeah, and the, I think maybe like the, well, is it your like biggest sort of property? Is that the right word? Uh, the Try Guys? Is that yes. your biggest yes. thing? I think I'm most well-known for being part of the Try Guys. Uh, we started at BuzzFeed. I was one of the first video producers there. Yeah, I mean, when. Yeah. I was doing some videos right at, well, Keith, who's a Try Guy. Yes. And I lived on the same block. Really? And I was walking my dog one day, and mm-hmm. Keith recognized me from just- Dropping by. S- I know I've seen you at the studio back in the BuzzFeed yeah. days. Yeah. Yeah. He Well, no, actually, he just rec- recognized me from like- comedy like oh, from gotcha. um and so he was working at buzzfeed at the time and was like we're looking for people to come in and make content it was i mean it's funny this sounds like this was 1000 years ago yeah but, but it was uh you know six years ago or whatever it was and so i um he was like if you ever have an idea for a video let me know and then i pitched him ask a lesbian which was a yes, series that, that I did was fantastic with buzzfeed really early and it yeah. was like going in there this would have been the time that you were working there. It was completely like I think that you had just moved from our first like studio a, like to a the teeny lo- studio yeah. to then just like an airplane hangar, mm-hmm. and it felt like every time I went in to make these videos, there were like one thousand more employees. Yep. Like the the growth rate was really wild, and then it yeah, we, it was a a very special time, I think, and also a very. Um, a telling time for digital media. I was fortunate enough to be part of this wave of young sort of creative types who ended up online um, between like 2014 to really over the last year. I know that um, recently was sort of the quote unquote burst of the digital bubble. Like a lot of the the major companies had a lot of layoffs, especially BuzzFeed was very high profile with that. And um, I had left, I had quit um, over a year ago. So I had sort of avoided that. Um, Maybe it foresaw it a little bit, but uh, yeah, when you were doing the Ask a Lesbian series, it was a really cool time where we hadn't quite drawn the line so harshly in the sand with uh, online decorum and the the Twitter echo chamber. So it was cool to be able to first hear these fresh voices and have people respond to it so positively. Um, 
But it was interesting. I feel like there's this TED talk that one day I might be able to have uh, with maybe the other Try Guys or anyone who's worked online in this time where we kind of had a front row seat to watching this, uh, the current way that we sort of engage with each other socially online. Uh, I watched that sort of evolve and degrade. And uh, you kind of see now that that's sort of the way that we have accepted um, discourse uh, in the digital space. And it's, it's, it's very... Uh, interesting because in the end, I, I always will support that the unheard voices are, have risen to the top and at least can be heard. But, um, yeah, uh, it, it is, it has been very difficult. I can't imagine being a, a young kid in these days mm. being raised in that environment, but yeah, it was, it was a big learning curve, but I was happy to be able to make content during that time. Yeah. There's a couple things I want to like, talk about in that. I think what you're, I think what you're specifically talking about is, I mean, I can apply it to like my personal experience when I, when those videos were released, mm -hmm. they got like millions and millions of views mm -hmm. and also not a ton of negative comments, which was yeah. weird because I almost think it was like at the time BuzzFeed was like this new kind of curated community where like people were maybe a little more progressive there than like what YouTube was at the time. Yeah, And it was just interesting to see like what you're talking about this, people just being excited yeah. about something like, oh my God, I can't believe that I'm seeing, because I feel like you guys started the Try Guys right around that time, right? Like yeah, pretty around early. that time, like uh, uh, late 2014. We'd known each yeah. other for a year and then we became best friends at the company and then we started, uh, we were the first show, we we created ourselves. I feel and, like I yeah. saw you guys, one, like I like feel like we switched, like we went into the same studio one time and you guys were like putting on bikinis or something like that. Probably. Yeah. yeah. And again, telling of the times, right. It was like 2014, uh, the sort of idea of gender norm normativity in the discourse was as simple as distilling it into sort of cisgendered, cisgendered men trying on, yeah. uh, sexy women's Halloween costumes. Right. Now I think the conversation is way more nuanced and, and it deserves like voices that should be like really looking at it from a more educated place. But for us, like that was a time where the comedy and the uh, being able to relate to us in regards to the way that we're looking at how that was just, there was a, a divide there, a disconnect right. was, um, it was good. It was healthy. It was good. I mean, online. I will say you weren't shitty, you know, like that's, no, that's no. one thing that could have happened thing. where yeah. there was, where there were, that did feel like a, I understand what you're saying, which is, you know, now maybe it doesn't need to be, maybe, maybe we're just, maybe we could just be done with it's funny to see yeah. cisgender dudes where we, we, it was a little more broadly comical Yeah, exactly. five years ago, but now it's kind of evolved into something where, I mean, you, you can hear those perspectives from people who actually should be heard talking about yeah, it. Yeah. So. Like taboos are now someone else's norm, yes. like what you were doing, but, but what I think maybe, um, you know, worked so well and helped you all create an audience. And what I appreciated about the stuff that you were doing is that you were, um, supporting each other and having fun. And I don't know, like, it would be like, you were like actually showing your butts, you know, like I just yeah. mean, it wasn't like so much. That's very true. Yeah. It yeah. wasn't actually so much like, uh, uh yeah, it could it have been a shitty version exactly. and it was instead kind of a celebratory version. We don't really get a chance to see men behave like that toward their friends. Yeah. And that so was the DNA of try guys. That's like a real, that was a real, um, like <laughs> glass ceiling burster in terms of, uh, just, hey, dudes can be sweet to each other. Yeah, we were kind of stomping at it from above. We were trying mm -hmm. to break it from wherever yeah, we were right. standing <laughs> that's right. in our uh, very uncomfortable stilettos. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, the third video we ever produced together was recreating the Kim Kardashian paper magazine butt photo. And there was a, we did it overnight after it was released to release the next morning and um, had a very long conversation about should we show our butts on the internet? And it came down to there's no commentary about 
any sort of uh, gender divide or the way that we uh, appraise each other's bodies if we don't show our asses. Mm. And it really came down to that. And you can maybe appreciate it from the performer comedian standpoint. You can appreciate it from the cultural standpoint. But for us, I think it's this idea of being vulnerable. And I think that's the thing that people always like related yeah, to Yeah, that us. makes sense. That's, yeah. that's, I see that in there. Yeah. I see that in the stuff that you guys were doing, that vulnerability and sweetness. Yeah. I, also, I also think um, what strikes me as a little bit unique Oh God! You can't say a little bit unique. You're either it's either unique or not, Cammy. Yeah. Just <laughs> is Cammy the the, the woman's name you throw I out? Yell at? Yeah, uh, mine's Tina. <laughs> I would say, hey, Tina, <laughs> Tina, get over here. Um. Anyway. Uh. Oh, that that you guys were. What did, I literally just yelled at myself so much I lost my. You said something was unique about train us. Yes. Of thought. Oh. So when I went in, Keith was, he was the producer on my videos. So I was then surprised to see him in front of the camera. I just didn't know, like, you know, I'm, BuzzFeed hasn't really, nothing had like crystallized yet, right? And Mm -hmm. so the folks that were working there, I think had this hybrid, because people were doing this at their homes. There were certainly like YouTube yeah. folks that were like, I'm both the on-camera talent and I'm also the person producing the video. But mm-hmm. that hadn't really crystallized in companies yet. No. Like now it sort of does. It, it has, has, yeah. But um, that is a is a different thing than, you know, usually when you're walking, usually when you're walking into, when you're, when you arrive in Los Angeles, you either want to be on one side yeah. of the camera. There's very the traditional roles defined right. in entertainment. And I think it's interesting because things I think always end up favoring uh perspective and um, hopefully like talent. I think that Buzzfeed was an interesting place and a very exciting place for a while. Cause none of us entered uh, in the first years as performers. We were all that's true. Hired of you. as pr- video producers. Yeah. I was never, uh, I went to USC film school. So even though I had a lot of performance in my background as a kid growing up, I was a like crazy art kid. I did theater, dance, choir, music. What ages? All the way up until I went to, to university. And that's when I focused on film. Mm. Um, those fun stories that I was either going to be an LA film kid or a New York theater kid. Right. But then my mom. But fam- I mean, based on your jacket today. I mean, it's hard to tell which one I, my biggest, we have the same outfit that. on. Yeah, I know. Do you realize I feel like, that? Yeah. Our hair is swooping the same way. And like you are wearing like the black version of my tan version of this outfit. I feel like if we were roommates, we would just share wardrobe. I completely agree. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. so glad to see <laughs> products, that we have wardrobe. shown up wearing the exact same look. Listen, that's the beauty uh, of the queer umbrella. I think a lot yeah. of us are just prescribing to the same, like, this is the hottest look and I'm just going to aim for this direction right. regardless of gender or yeah. orientation. Yeah, that's right. But uh, yeah, my mom, my mom famously said, uh, uh, are, you, are you going to be in every flower drum song Miss Saigon production? She was just very confused by this idea of trying to be a performer. And I had been so uh, disciplined in so many different art forms that I had a, a wonderful teacher who said I should consider filmmaking. But I, I was raised in Texas in a small town and I'm older than people think. I'm 33. A lot of people assume because of uh, my forward facing YouTuberiness that I'm in my maybe early to mid 20s. Um, but no, I, I'm part of what I call like maybe the best part of the millennial generation. It's my favorite part. No shade to Gen Zers, but I love people who were born in the 80s. Um, just on the tail end of Gen X, people who grew up having like a quarter on their phone, but then had to adapt to everything. So they get the sort of cynical nihilism of 
our older siblings, but also can understand why kids are the way they are these days. Um, so I have like that sort of like jaded outlook on life. It is part of what I do, but it, it was very much like fueling this idea of I should be a filmmaker because it's the only way I could be heard. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, right. I went well, to film school for that. I, I said, if I'm going to create change in the industry for gay voices, for Asian voices, uh, I have to be a director. That was kind of the the go-to. Yeah, I mean- this is this is also not you. You're not making this up. Like your no, mom no. saying, like, what are you going to be? Yeah, no, it wasn't. Mistake. It's literally Hamilton like. didn't happen yet. We yeah, didn't have Lin-Manuel, like, yeah. changing the game. Yeah. I mean, it really was. I mean, Miss Saigon is Jasmine is Mulan, right? Yeah. So that's actually true. That's the same voice. Like, that's, yep. that's, there was uh, room Leah's for one. Longer, yeah, yeah. Longer. yeah. And I was, uh, I mean, I would have loved to be that. I, I really love performing. And obviously I've, I've kind of come full circle, but it was unexpected when I ended up joining BuzzFeed. I was uh, very much on a track of becoming what I considered like this, this, um, this Aronofsky Fincher-esque director. I was, and am, uh, quite dark in my perspective. And when I was in film school, it's <laughs> very amazing. weird. I love this. This is very strange for a lot of people. <laughs> and people who knew me before BuzzFeed uh, were actually really surprised where I ended up because all my um, peers in college, I mean, even the, the, the teachers all said, weirdly, I had a, you have more of a New York vibe. Everything you do is like artsy fartsy. Uh, it just feels like there's the rhyme and reason is all towards this oh, grander, man, that's grander so philosophy awesome. and everything is like really. And um, then you're like, but have you considered my butt? Yeah, here exactly. It is, and I will. <laughs> this but I had a lot of controversial <laughs> uh, short film work and that was kind of the path I wanted to take. And I, I, my career has taken a very strange turn, which was, but I almost feel like it was inevitable. It was this feeling of. When I joined BuzzFeed, I needed a full-time job. That was kind of the the baseline. I was uh, waitering to make ends meet. I mean, you know, the game in any big city. I was trying to direct and produce, but I also wanted to be independent. So I was uh, serving tables at a dim sum restaurant. And um, so I lived enough life before I hit this, like, quote-unquote, YouTuber um, era. And that's when I joined BuzzFeed. And bringing back to your earlier point, the um, BuzzFeed was one of the first companies that was trying to um, sort of corporatize the digital media space. Mm -hmm. And when they did that, they didn't quite understand that in the end, by using their employees on camera, which they had to do because we were just in a big experimental hot pot, right. those uh, faces and talents would rise to the top to the audience because in the end, regardless of this idea of um, the internet being anonymous and that it's great that you, know, you don't have to have a traditional talent contract, um, People come back for character. They come back for story. That's kind of an inevitable. They want to connect with someone. And, you know, they had a lot, BuzzFeed had a lot of hard learning curves, probably in particular with someone like me, who were part of that first, like, crop of people that people said, I want to see more of this person. Yeah. I like them as a performer. And, um, you know, I think it's come back to the point where people realize that, I mean, you have Kevin Hart's and Tiffany Haddish's and The Rock's coming to YouTube and Will Smith. I mean, everyone's seeing it now as a competitive space as opposed to a, a lower space. Mm -hmm. um, so it has become like a legitimate platform and there's way more cross-pollination. But yeah, when I started, I thought I was just going to be there for six months as an intern, um, way under my skill level. I was just like, all right, I, I see this space. I, I'm going to drop by. Yeah, I think that's particularly interesting about your story because I also think when we talk about the types of folks that... That, um, like you're saying this, like lower positioning, I think a lot of that is because there has been a traditional path mm -hmm. to how you 
are um, successful. And well, actually, there's like two paths, honestly. There's like discovered at a mall. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then there's like works for 25 years and goes up the ladder, gets an Oscar, you know, and those are like kind of the two ways that um, and and that can be true for music and that can be true literally like for any of the arts. Yeah. Except for ballet, because like honestly, no, you got to train your ass off for ballet. Yeah, (laughs) you got to make the decision. You're gonna be a ballerina for life or not? Yeah, I think um, the internet has made the entire world a mall. Yeah, it has, but it but it is true that like, but then here's your story, and you're like, actually, I had like a ton of training, you know, and so that's I think that's something that has been kind of left out of this story as we like looking at it from above, sort of like from the position of you know drone footage or whatever. It's like people being like, ah, they randomly you know figured out how to do this in their kitchen, but it's but there is a skill to first of all to anybody doing this, like Mm -hmm. anybody that's sitting there writing and creating their own content that breaks through. But specifically for you, I think it's pretty interesting that you are somebody with like. Uh, uh, concrete training. Yeah. And I think um, when you actually look at the diversity of content online, it really just shows that it, it is in its own way, a form of filmmaking. It's just, you know, some people are way more verite with it, right? They just put a camera on themselves in the bedroom and others are producing things like food videos or like real scientific productions. There's so many ways now that it really has become its own industry. And, you know, I think wrapping up the BuzzFeed conversation, the the way I rose up there was interesting because I only brought what I knew to the table. Mm. So aside from developing a show uh, with the other Try Guys, I also did a lot of, um, a lot of people call it quote unquote higher concept videos. Basically the joke was if you ever watched BuzzFeed in that time and you saw anything that looked like it cost more than $300 and had like really good music and a sort of a feeling of more of a, a, a deft hand with the direction or concept, that was probably my video. Ooh. Yeah. Not to like, yeah, I, I did Come a on. lot of that. You can write it out. Yeah, I, I did. Um, and it, it was a cool time to experiment with that. There was a lot of stuff out there that was playing with, with, um, I think the first one I did that was a real big hit was this video called Women's Ideal Body Types Throughout History. It was just this very simple music video with models showcasing this idea of how much has shifted over time, um, but just visually stunning, but also the comprehensive like back-to-back of 11 different models just created the larger point of mm. like, what the fuck are we even doing? <laughs> like, what is yeah. the ideal body type? It just is going to constantly change and who's even directing where this idea comes from. And that was a great moment uh, where you saw that it had both um, sort of cultural resonance and a point, but also uh, a certain amount of art artistry to it that, you know, I, I, I have found now that maybe the the general tone of the internet has really, really shifted towards, I think, um, personalities. It's become more like traditional, like it's very personality forward. If you watch like even the YouTube trending page, we're fortunate enough to be included there a lot, but it is very much like big star vehicles. People are going there to see the XYZs. Um, so my only hope is that I, I hope that we can come to a place again where kind of like early BuzzFeed days where the internet feels like you can discover really cool, unique voices and just sort of let those explode outward and those have viral moments. But I do feel like it's kind of starting to solidify like traditional. Yeah, I don't I don't know if that's possible. I mean, I, yeah. I, I think that it's funny because it's I mean, I even look at like my um, like the homepage for or whatever it would be called for like my Apple TV. Yeah, you know, where like for a minute it's like, oh man, this is the Wild West. Like you're watching the internet TV, mm-hmm. but then now it's just like, oh, these are channels. They're channels. Like we literally just yeah. recreate. This is television. You know, They're so stars. It's, so we just yeah. are. I mean, I don't, and I think that that exists because there's 
because the, because this is all an industry. So it's it's hard yeah. for things to it's hard for an industry to shift in its um structure. Yeah. Like it can shift in its composition, but it's I think it's hard for it to shift in its structure if that makes sense. Because exactly. it's like over time it's literally just like it's making um you know, the entertainment industry is is an it's an investment vehicle. Mm-hmm. It's the stock market and you're yeah. like putting money into a movie and hoping that that movie pays out. So it's, it's, it's just all gonna, you know, we didn't, we don't, there can be new stocks that pop up, but yeah. like the stock market stays the same. Yeah. So I think it's, it's, it's just going to be interesting to see. I think it'll evolve over time. Kind of like how, if you look at film history, uh, I, I kind of joked about the, the, sort of viral stardom of certain people who are now considered like top tier famous YouTubers. Um, that to me feels like it's kind of smacks of the golden age of Hollywood. You know, it's like star vehicles who are hired by studios and they're all like, you watch the Marilyn Monroe film. Um, you go there to see Cary Grant. Um, that's where I think YouTube's at right now. Uh, we did have a fun experimental phase. that felt a little more like the talkies, but I think it might kind of cycle back around like the seventies where you have these young tours coming out, giving some really different cool things. I think mm. people's tastes are going to shift a bit. Um, but in the end it always does come back to talent and it comes back to, I think the idea of connection with someone, I think the big difference with the internet is this idea of, and now the internet is affecting everyone of transparency and authenticity mm. and voyeurism. I think the biggest question a lot of us have, and you've probably experienced this to some degree is that people want not only to know more about just the intimate details of your life, but a lot of that then has to be construed towards your own um, career. Now, I think a lot of the work that we do naturally as artists or people who are in traditional writing, you you imprint that into your work. But now people just want to see a direct, like, this is you. I want to see exactly who you are, which is kind of great in a lot of ways. But it does it does, doesn't leave as much to the imagination, which I think is the one thing we've lost a little bit of, is the mystery mm. of people. Well, I mean, I'm a stand-up comic, so the whole point of stand-up comedy has always been speaking about your life in a mm-hmm. – in um, well, that's not true. Not always the whole point. You know, there was a – our history is that we basically all had the same jokes, and it was like whoever was telling them in the room that, that night. But the trajectory of stand-up is um, – toward the more personal because you can't copyright jokes. Yeah. So like in the, you know, in when it, like the Borscht Belt comedy tour, whatever, mm-hmm. like the stuff that's in like Mrs. Maisel, everybody's like had the same yeah. act and was touring around different places and the jokes were the same and the room was different. But yeah. um, over time, the way that you protect your career is by being really personal. So it's an interesting... Um, yeah, there's a parallel there. I think stand-ups have a, a, a similar DNA to what YouTubers are doing. I think reality stars similarly in a very interesting way, we're a sort of precursor yeah. to that too as well. This idea yeah, I mean, of like I, looking into someone's life. Right, And right. this is what the kids want these days. They they don't want to necessarily see just an actor doing something. They want to know everything about the actor and they want to see what the actor's bathroom looks like. It's it's become a very, I mean, everyone has always had that desire, but they would be, you know, funneled through things like tabloids. And, mm. you know, they there is a disconnect because we didn't have the same connection we have now digitally. But um it is interesting. I think I think there's going to be a lot of ways we're going to look back at this, and maybe we're in a Black Mirror universe, but we're going to look yeah, back I don't and know. say, "Huh, this is a very interesting time." I'm I'm happy to be living in it, but there's a lot of challenges I think to be to be faced. Yeah, I mean, what I was going to say about that is that, like, it's always been you know sharing personal details, but you kind of get to control what you know. Not you kind of you very much get to control what is shared, and also people aren't usually like in your home with you. Like I had a I had a TV show for a while that. Sometimes folks would say to me, 
um, I would get comments like, we have the same sheets. And I would be like, wait, you, this is not my house. Do you, do you like, th- like, I don't, this isn't shot. Yeah. This isn't my house. They my assumed bedroom. it was your actual bedroom. Yeah. But, yeah. I, and I think that's some of the, so I hope that, I hope people are protecting themselves. Do you feel protected at all? Like, do you feel like, cause I, I feel like, I guess that's what I'm saying is I have a stage, like stand up has always been talking honestly about your life, but I have a stage persona and I have a real life and yeah. I'm on stage and I'm sort of protected a little bit in, um, and I certainly like have posted photos in my actual home and things yeah. like that. But I just think it's a little bit different because the place that I'm making money and the place that I'm, um, I can kind of choose what's there. And it doesn't even mean like I've shared a lot of things in my life that I, um, that sometimes feel too personal, but I, I have gotten to really make the choice and like, there's a, a bit of a divide yeah. and I just don't know how that feels for somebody like, like you. Do you feel that same dif- distance between I, the person that you are in your job and the person you are as a, as a human? I feel, um, constant stress about that. And I think that a lot of older people in the YouTube environment probably s- feel similarly. Mm-hmm. I think that, um, very young people who become well-known in that space when they're say 14, um, have a very different perspective. And I think it's very challenging for them because I mean, imagine if one's career and self-worth at that developmental time was based on views. Like I can't even imagine. Um, for me, it's more this idea that now that myself, um, with what I'm doing with the try guys is seen as explicitly like YouTuber forward. Um, we get more, uh, engagement when people feel like they get to know us better. And that is part of the, what does YouTuber forward mean? I think it's more, it's, it's less that I'm, uh, coming forward with a producer's perspective. Like I was at Buzzfeed where I was protected Uh, behind like a company umbrella. And now it's, since it's the transparency, people are interested in you. They want to know everything about me. And I think they always did, but I think that now that my career, um, aside of, I have a lot of outside projects I work on, um, besides the try guys that I'm developing, but with the try guys, it is clearly, we're seen as, um, YouTubers. We're seen so as So what do you do types. to protect yourself and your privacy? I, I feel like that there are moments where you realize that in the space I'm in, if you give a little, like an inch, then the audience will take the mile. They'll right. take everything. So, um, for instance, uh, my colleague, Zach, uh, another try guy, he, uh, released a video a few months ago called my secret girlfriend. Um, because it came to a point where, because he had a girlfriend for a couple years, but his, his thing is particularly when we used to work at Buzzfeed was being the single guy, uh, that sort of perpetuated. And he had just never shown her in her, his socials. And it came to a point where it was just too stressful. So when he inducted her quote unquote into this public universe, it was a really hard decision for all of us because we knew that once she was public, like she could either be super public or she has to be completely private. So when, she, when people found out her like Instagram went up to a hundred thousand immediately, like people just had to know who she was. And there's something very scary about that. Yeah. I yeah. mean, what did she, she, I'm assuming she got to participate she in She participated in the decision. Yeah. Because I think it was, it was both stressful for, I mean, imagine being in a serious relationship and your boyfriend is still the single guy, right? There's a certain yeah. um, disrespect there, I think, just because professionally that, that separation is I really mean, it hard. depends. Yeah. I think, I think again, you're talking about, um, 
you know, you're talking about something that's maybe a little bit more specific yeah. to the universe that you live in yeah. than elsewhere. Because I do, I don't think that that same thing exists for like comics or for or traditional, traditional actors. actors. Yeah, yeah. It or is, like it's, it's difficult. You know, musicians. Like yeah. I think that there's a lot of people that that's not true for. Because also in the end, then she becomes not only a uh, public figure, but also a character within this universe, like yeah. the Avengers, who then people will want to see in future videos and then you will then create content around. So it's not just she a- She also, I wonder, is she in this industry? No, she's not. That was kind of why she also was never- that And that's why she's so, great. That's why they're so great. You know, because sure. she's like a nurse. She's not in any way involved with with entertainment. But um, it, it is it is interesting. You see that people who grew up within that universe, the uh, and now that I've uh, become more- when I was working at BuzzFeed, we had more of a strict wall about the way we engaged with people, mm -hmm. which was both helpful and also in the end uh, detrimental for us as like YouTubers, quote unquote, because people want that direct like tweet back. They want comments in the section. They want us to, to know us. We always remained pretty like arm's length because just from a company standpoint, it's not proper to to like delve into conversations with I understand what 12 you're year olds online. You, you were before you're representing the company. Now you're representing yourself. Exactly. And now that the company is also ourselves, but also um, the videos are our lives. It's uh, it's become this very. I feel exhausted. It's exhausting. I seriously, yeah. the, what you're describing to me sounds really challenging. Yeah. And we're a very interesting group to look at because we use the um, environment and the sort of authenticity first uh mantra of YouTube, but we're also older than a lot of other YouTubers who, who occupy the same, like, quote unquote, I guess, like fame level as us, um, where they go, yeah. Oh, you're the try guys. Yeah. Or, Oh, you're the Dolan twins or you're, you know, James Charles. Uh, there's I know so, so little about this world. That I also knew very little about it my too. mind with everything. That Honestly, you're like, I mean, I know I'm some sure, about it. It's yeah. not like I've, it's not like I have written it off completely or, um, don't know you know, the folks that have popped. I certainly know the folks that have like yeah. popped through, but it's more so just, um, I think it stresses me out. It's what you're talking about stressful, yeah. stresses me out. Like the, the, um, like the response rate and like the interaction and stuff. Like I yeah. feel like, and this is, this is probably me like projecting my own, I think about like how much work that would be, you know? And it makes, I think, it, yeah. I think I had to disengage from keeping up with it because I'm like, oh my God, this, this seems overwhelming. I have s such a similar attitude, which people are kind of aware of because I, at least uh, when I first came online, was able to craft a lot of my character towards the aspects of myself that I enjoy playing into more, which is a little more contrary, a little darker, a little more controversial, uh, kind of the othered person who's yeah. also fabulous at the same time. Sure. That was kind of the, the, the crux of a lot of what I was initially known for. And then now that they want to see me, they want to see me happy. They want to see me smiling. They want to see me with my best friends. I still roll my eyes cause I'm still with like the three straightest whitest guys ever who are amazing, but you know, that's, yeah. uh, they're literally watching us be best friends. And you know, we try to, we as older YouTubers, we, we're trying to run like a company that also we, we're trying to pilot things out. We're trying to create unscripted content that can go to traditional, but our bread and butter is, has, and has become, um, what's most powerful online, which is that they just want to look into your personality, connect to something and feel like you're telling the truth. And that was a huge issue for me a lot of times, because as the person who was very, um, the film school kid who came out of the closet when I was first in college and was the bullied Asian kid. I came from like a very 
like sort of typical, if you saw, I don't know, an art show from me, you were like, this is, this guy's tortured. He has everything that I love. Like, you know, they're like, oh, he's so edgy and different. That was like me to a T, you know, not the person you would ever throw into a, a, a YouTube environment. Sure. And so when I was thrust into that, um, the best way to put it is my work pre uh, internet was with a hammer. I was very much, and I'll show you some stuff in a little bit. I can't wait. Uh, it's, it's, I was literally the friend you have that everyone who, uh, in the right art circles be like, Oh, Eugene, he's going to be something someday. It'll take him some time, but he's going to be like an edgy auteur who, you know, makes these like exploitative controversial films about queerness. You know, I was like that kid. I like that voice by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah. That's, that was my <laughs> sexy auteur voice. Yeah, but yeah. I was, I was clearly, um, packaging myself in a way where I was using a hammer mm-hmm. to make my point. Very effective in, I think, the uh, like indie film circuit. That was the path I was taking, um, especially in music videos. But I, uh, when I sh- pivoted into digital, I was very uh, suspicious that I would not be right for uh, that universe, especially on camera. I just didn't think I was relatable. That was kind of the bottom line. I That's said, so interesting right? to me. I just, I think that. Yeah. I mean, you are right. You know that, right? I've found that now. And I feel like, but coming in from, and I realize this is what maybe helped me in the end by being someone in the yeah. digital space. I, I still saw myself maybe from a centrist point of view where I was like, I'm the Asian guy. I'm the gay guy. I'm the other. No one can relate to me. Therefore I have to pack myself in edgy way for people to respond. Uh, That's what I realized. And I also went to USC where they literally teach you how to package yourself for Hollywood. Mm. I mean, that's why it's the top film school because people get out of there knowing how to work the system. Sure. And I think that's what I picked up. And then the digital space sort of flipped it on its head where instead of leading with a hammer, I started leading with honey. You know, mm-hmm. it was this idea of, wow, people can relate to this darker side of me, these alternative views, because the internet is literally everyone. It's there is this idea that maybe everything is bubbly and happy go lucky in the YouTuber world, but um, I mean everyone watches videos online, so there's something for everybody. And I did find that there was a very large audience that was responding well to me just being honest and upfront um, in, on camera. I, I, I was a little more, I think, particular about the way that I was in my initial BuzzFeed days because yeah. knowing that I was. Um, Another, and that we were in an era where once you proclaimed something, you were a representative for everyone. I was very uh, wary of being the um, Asian man first and foremost because they visually were just like he's an Asian guy, and um, I couldn't lose to th- to uh, especially my white male counterparts. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, I'm way more skilled and athletic than my friends, <laughs> so <laughs> that wasn't a huge problem. But I was aware of that because I couldn't. Everything I did was I said, in this time, I have to play anti-stereotype. That was also very stressful. And then on top of that, my sexuality was this other confluence that became sort of a hurdle for me because then you have to go into the nuance of being a person of color who's also gay and what that in itself represents. Were you like out when you, I I just don't know this. Were you out at the, I just remember, in my mind, I am aware of you being out uh, yeah, probably through like my productions and eventually stuff, but it I, seeped out. But yeah. when you started, were you no. out? No. Well, what's funny is that, you know, I, I went into all of my work with a very strong, defiant, queer Asian lens. And my first video ever at BuzzFeed was about uh, the X types of guys I've dated. I was on camera, but that's what the first thing I produced. Um, people don't really know that they, they did. They first saw me as a very like cisgendered sort of slightly ah, mask Asian guy who right. was just sort of a funny, dark, uh, 
uh, weirdly comical dude. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! I feel like in the last couple of years what I've... I mean, this is all from, like, somebody who's pretty distant, but... I've, like I've seen you post some drag, which yes. is very, which is yeah. very cool. Um, yeah. Because I, you know, a lot of our access point. First of all, like Drag Race is amazing, um, but so much of our access point on that show is like when we see them out of makeup. There, these are people who do drag professionally, so exactly. like their faces are um, already sort of like prepped for that world, where yeah. like they'll be like altered eyebrows or like this person like really takes care of their facial hair or something yeah. like that. Um, and so it is cool to see. And first of all, that's also awesome. But I just mean, you have like this presentation, like you have a little stubble today. Yeah, and, like, you have, yeah. like this full brows and everything. And um, we have the same outfit on. And <laughs> I'm kind of masculine. So like, you know, it's it's been cool to see you um, play with that a little bit and yeah. sort of introduce that to the world. And I think I've always been that way. Um, I think what the big thing was is that when I recently came out with this video uh, where it kind of explicitly states my um, my identity as a gay man. Uh, I had always skirted it because, and it really comes down to this is that my personal life with my family, um, that's a hot word for them. It's a, it's a word that I realized because I was always chasing both my career and my philanthropic goals as an artist, um, in conjunction with a conservative background. And, you know, a lot of people who have similar families, whether it be because they're of color or they're religious, or, you know, maybe you just have that one asshole uncle, like that is kind of the environment I was raised in. And yeah. I and still you said have Texas, right? Texas, Texas, yeah. Texas and Korean. Like where Korean, what, what's, what city? Central Texas. So close to Austin, okay. which is awesome. Everyone should go to Austin. But right outside, but outside Austin. of Austin. I've driven around. Yeah. Right outside I was like part of the suburban sprawl growing up yeah. and I was like one of the only Asian families and definitely no one was out when I was growing up. And so it was an interesting time online when I, again, didn't go in uh, trying to uh, be the representative of anything. I just happened to be chosen by the audience to. Oh, also, I mean, if you're the only one that's a thing, sorry, it's not even just the audience. It's literally like, like, because I've had this experience a million times. It's like, you either have to decide that, okay, I will take on the mantle of representative or you're living in denial because there's not really a way to avoid it if you're the only one. You know, like the digital age, there's no way to avoid it. And I. Luckily, the, the the terminology of LGBTQ and queer is like a uh, foreign language to a lot of <laughs> Asians. So my family, who uh, I know that for me, the risk was always that I will not speak to certain ones once they find out. Mm. That was always the reason I withheld, withheld the explicit like. I'm gay. And I, I worked oh. very hard. Yeah, that's kind of what it came down to. And I think for me, it was like a deeply personal 
thing where uh, I joke about this with other people with conservative backgrounds is um, when does your career uh, and your self-support trump the um, the notion that you have to depend on the people that you grew up with. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I would say that, first of all, I have, I'm from, I have a very conservative background mm-hmm. and I would also say that like, yeah, career and all those things, but you know, um, you were talking about this as, a, as it applied to the secret girlfriend, but, but, you know, um, omitting things is a terrible burden. It's, yeah. a, it's, it's a very, it's a terrible burden to live with for your entire life. So yes, I mean, there's like the, I'm trying to square my career with this family and, and I totally get that. Um, but there's also like, at what point in your life? And, you know, there are some, there are like young people that I'm depending on my family and Mm -hmm. I need them financially and I'm not, but then there's, you know, then there's you, the age that you are with this like successful career. And I would just imagine that after a while, it's, it's, it's just a, it's just a lot to carry. It is. Yeah. And I, I, um, I was able to really skirt it for the past few years mm-hmm. in a way where I, I let my work speak for itself first. I, yeah, I that, that makes sense. created the queer prom at, um, Buzzfeed and I have hosted Trevor live and I'm, I'm really trying to be as present as possible. Even in my fashion, I've been like pushing yeah. those boundaries. Um, but it's that it's interesting because there's that, that one moment of declaration, and it's, it brings me back to this idea of like first coming out as a teenager to my best friend. And then, co- you know, we all have been through this process, the eternal coming out process. Right. Uh, it doesn't get easier. It gets, and it's stressful. And it also is with everything we've talked about before this, this whole digital um, universe that I'm particularly uh, notable in, um, it's become more stressful because I want to represent everyone correctly. And it there came a point now where I just realized that my life is so much more beyond the sort of responsibilities or ties I feel like mm-hmm. I've been beholden to. Yes. And I think that a lot of people who are queer have to come to that realization or at least can hopefully be afforded that that opportunity to realize that. And I yeah. think some people will be like, oh, when they see the video I just released, like, oh, you're gay. I, I think I knew that. A lot of people assume that I'm bi or pan, which I was fine with people thinking that because, you know, we're, we're all on a spectrum anyways. But I... Uh, no, I, I wanted to like explicitly say this is how I've identified, this is who I am, and that that has been my social, personal, political life well before I was ever online. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like you might relate. There's um, It's not just a disconnect with age, it's a disconnect with experience. I have found that I am now in the circles with a lot of like top YouTube stars, or that's who I'm always like thrown in with for social gatherings, for business opportunities, really wonderful people, a lot, a little younger than me. And a lot of them are queer identifying. A lot of them are if in fact, like role models and representatives in the community. And you'd be surprised to find how many of them, because they became so famous and visible at such a young age, never got those messy, heartbreaking, weird, fun, beautiful, crazy experiences that you should have (laughs) when you first come out and you don't know where your community is and you discover them. Many of them don't go out at all. They have just, because they're famous first, it's, it's very difficult for them. So I can only imagine how hard it is for them to like, have to speak on like things that took me years to understand the nuance of everyone within the queer umbrella and how we're also having to learn a lot about each other's communities. Um, cause none of us can speak for everyone. And 
that's taken me years to even come to a point where I can admit that. And, you know, they're at a place where everyone's just like, you have to say everything for the yeah. queer communities. I see how that's stressful. But I'm always like, I go to these things and I say, I'm taking everyone to a bar, taking you to a drag show. I'm going to have you come meet my friends. And it's been nice because I feel like I'm like the weird, like gay uncle for all these kids. <laughs> they're like, wow. First they go, wow, Eugene's really nice. Cause people assume that I'm mean. Cause my face settles really really bitchy and my <laughs> I guess I'm known I know where I dress really dark clothes and I can be intimidating person but once I open my mouth I'm like yo I've lived life enough where I know how beautiful and how important it is to understand the diversity of the queer community to like hmm. you have to go live in it for a bit because it's very hard to understand that when you're getting everything online and behind your your front door. Yeah, I mean, I hear, I totally hear what you're saying. I think, well, there's two things I wanted to like mention here. Um, one is, I know you said it doesn't get easier. Like this is from a minute ago when you're talking about like um, continuing to come out. Yeah. And I, I know that, you know, this video is very recently released and um, I don't mean any of this as a talking down to you at all. But as somebody who had to make this decision with their family, mm -hmm. I just want to say into your face, just as somebody that cares about you, um, that that like that feeling of, am I going to lose people? And what like that, that is one of the most powerful parts of coming out. And so like coming out on a plane, you know, like to your random stranger that's next to you, like, that's like, Hey, are you going to see your boyfriend? And you're like, have you, did you see my hair? You know, like, <laughs> like that doesn't get easier because there's yeah. a perpetual burden of coming out. But I think the feeling that who am I going to lose this sort of like sword that's hanging over your head? Mm -hmm. um, I hope you have some relief from that. I hope that you get to experience that. I have experienced that. It took a long time, but I hope that you get to experience that because it's like I said, it's a lot to live with and it's a big thing to carry around. Yeah. And I, I hope that this helps you in that regard. No, thank you for that. I think I think all of us who identify as queer and have a coming out process kind of will reach that point. Mm -hmm. I think for me, I think kind of maybe uh, peppering it with this idea of maybe more particular conservative backgrounds. Yeah. Maybe that's just a little, it's a little sometimes pushed a little later because of the way that you might think that you're um, obligated yes. to um, continually fit into someone's idea to be worth their Love. Do you mean when you say more particular conservative backgrounds? Do you mean Korean? Do you mean Korean, uh, Southern, is there like a religious? It, yeah, religious. I think it's a lot of different things for me, and a lot of influences that I will hope one day I can like openly make a lot of great film and TV uh -huh. and, and and art out of. But I think, yeah, I think it's any anything that makes you feel like you you have to retreat back into that box that you've jumped out of. Yeah, and I think that. For me, I still I've I've stepped out of the box, but I'm still hyper aware of everyone else within the box, and I think that um, I and this brings back the conversation of finding your queer family. There is something really beautiful about this idea that I think part of it's not just age or comfort, but it's this idea that w more people accepting you for who you are 100% completely. Um, is just this like balancing act with the people who are going to cut you out. Yeah. I mean, I, I like when I came out, it was a huge explosion. I lost my uh, faith, my school, all of my friends what did you, and my what were family. You raised as? Super, super Catholic, super oh, Catholic, Catholic, super yeah. Italian. I was at a college where I couldn't come out, could be kicked out of school for being gay. Mm. Like it was, it was brutal. And yeah. it, um, and I did lose, I did literally like lost 
everything. But um, the relief that happened after rebuilding from that, you know, um, is real. Like it's, I guess what I mean is like, it's like a, it's literally like a, a wall I had to Kool-Aid man through. Like there wasn't really going to yeah. be another option for me. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, and it sucked to burn it all down, but yeah. it was so helpful in the long term. Um, and I don't mean to speak. I just mean, I'm like, I'm like happy for you, no, I guess is what no. I'm saying, I'm, like, I'm like to have this but moment. But it's good. I think that it's good that we talk about this. There's a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of really wonderful stuff that's happening where people see the immediate acceptance from people who come out online and their families are really supportive. And I think it's also important to remind people that there are stories and a lot of people who are still out there who are within uh, confined emotional communities. You oh know? my God. Yeah. I'm not 1000 years old. I mean, yeah. I think we talk about, <laughs> we talk about like our, the decision that you just are making now and the decision I made. we talk about this, like, no, this is, we're a, thing, still the, we're the this is a thing from the yeah. past also, like, like this is happening now. And, you know, I think, yeah. I think we, um, we've sort of sometimes in, in like cultural conversation moved on to be like, you know, but, but then second thing I want to do is speak to, um, you know, you talking about those younger folks and like their, those experiences. Yeah. I had the f one, uh, when I, I you've host, seen it too, right? It, it's well, like, I hosted the glad media awards. Yeah. I'm going to, I don't, this is not to talk shit on this person. I, um, I hosted the glad media awards in the year that I, that I hosted it. Troy Savon won like a lifetime achievement award. And, oh, wow. and I think it was, he had like come out and it had been a huge thing, Yeah, but he was, or it was like, they're like change maker of the, but I think, I think usually that went to somebody who was slightly older Yeah, and Troy was so charming and nice and he brought his mom, but he was literally like, he was so young. So he was up on stage and he was talking about like the AIDS crisis and, um, <laughs> he, he missed it. Like he just yeah. like there, he was born after the AIDS crisis. Yeah. So it was just an interesting. And I, I mean, I appreciate, I appreciate that a lot of the younger people who are like in a high profile position are trying to become more educated about that. I think that's really important, but I totally get what you mean. It's, 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 it is different. Like I remember when I was, cause I was born in 86 and I remember the, I remember my parents always talking about it. People were always talking about the AIDS crisis. Yes. This whole Reaganite era and everyone was just talking about how it, it was just never, you cannot untie the word gay with, without saying AIDS or without saying plague or disease. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we have an, I had, I grew up with enough, uh, friends when I went out of the community who are a part of that generation that I would come across at bars that you just don't see many men anymore. Yeah. It's like this missing generation when you, yes. when you're confronted with that, it's very sobering. And I think that there's, you know, it, it's hard because the young, the very young community coming, coming in, um, with a lot of, uh, modern medicine and, you know, advances there, like they they don't, it's like they're forgetting a bit. Yeah. And yeah. also, I mean, there are tons of people in our queer family that are still living with, yeah. with HIV and AIDS. Yeah. And like, it's just, it, it presents differently and it has different consequences, extremely different consequences, yeah. Yeah. but it still is, I don't know. It was just like a funny, um, just the way that this, that it's went down this specific night. It was like, he was talking about like the revolutionary war or something. But he's like, oh, and then, wow. like, he went that far the, back. No, it was just like, it was just very, he's like, I'm so young. I have yeah. to go as far back as possible. No, it was just like, the, I mean, he was talking about the AIDS crisis. Like it happened that like, he was like, like he was like in our, and in our distant past, you know, and I, there were people in the room. I could just see like the old, like HBO executives, yeah. like they're like they're foundation like, dripping <laughs> down on their gay male faces. Um, to being like this young, this young 
Chippy thinks we're all there. Yeah, he's like, no, that was literally me and my friends yeah, at Fire Island. It was yeah. just super, it was like just a, a funny moment. But I, I wonder if, you know, I often think about, I don't mean, oh, well, God, how do I say this and not, sometimes when I, I'll make an analogy, like sometimes uh, in the last, you know, couple of years on the internet, there will be like really young women mm -hmm. who say things like, we don't even need feminism anymore. Yeah. And they're so young that I realized like, um, that they've never been in the workforce. Yeah. Like there's going to be a moment where you realize that you need feminism and it might be when you have your first job yeah. because like, that's, that's a thing that, first of all, it's like a thing in the water that you're being taught. And mm -hmm. that's what like, you know, the powers that be want you to believe, but also when you've had the opportunity to be in an outside world and see that the power structure is still shifted against you, that yeah. will maybe change your mind. And I think it's very interesting what you're talking about, about this, like, um, I'm curious to see as we evolve from YouTube to whatever the next thing is, like for all of these people, I just mean like, um, is it folks transitioning to other platforms? Is it folks transitioning on YouTube to other formats, whatever it is? It'll just be interesting to see if they're, if the pushback that the industry as a whole still has about queerness um, butts up against, as you were saying, these are folks that don't have necessarily the same stories of rejection. No. And I wonder for some of that, if that won't happen in time, because like we don't live in a world where that's not true anymore. Yeah. And, um, and maybe there will be folks who just dodge it and maybe it will just settle in at different moments. Like as people age, for instance, you know, like yeah. as people start wondering about kids, family, you know, like just things that, things that are still difficult for us. Yeah. I wonder if any of that will It's really catch up. a daunting and fascinating idea about generational um, sort of values and perspectives. I, I again, bring it back to when we earlier said, I said, I love eighties babies just because yeah. we're in a very weird in between. We <laughs> understand two sides. I can still talk to baby boomers. Like they're just like my pals, but I can still talk to 12 year olds in the same manner. Um, but the younger generation who I, there's so many things I respect about them. And I, there's so many things I respect about being able to live in a world where information is at your fingertips. I had to carry around encyclopedias in my backpack to learn stuff. I had Encarta <laughs> on CD, you know, I was, I was like a <laughs> yeah, inquisitive little boy, but sure. I had to physically go to the library to find out anything about like the woman's body, you know, like the, now everyone has that, but not always from either a reliable source or a source that feels like it's giving you something without trying to make you believe in something um, without question. And I think that there's a lot of that sort of struggle. We're talking about those experiences where you have to like get in the dirt of it to really feel like you're fighting for something beyond just an idea. Oh, that's And it's really tough because at the same token, we are at a place where we're so divided. Um, you're, you're, you're black or white. It's like, that's the perspective. I always will side with my queer brothers and sisters. I'll side with the people of color, but there, I can't tell you the amount of times, and I'm talking real talk here that like very young, um, wonderful, progressive minded kids, uh, talk down at me or they'll tell oh, me, sure. <laughs> they'll tell, they'll, they'll instruct me about how I should think. They'll tell me K-pop for instance is huge. 
globally. I'm an, a, a genetically Korean person who was raised by Koreans, and people will instruct me about Korean culture, and they're 13 year olds who who live somewhere that they've I never mean, been. That to That is, I think, very. What if that is the experience of being 13, it's right? It's very, yeah. And it's funny. <laughs> it was my like, experience, I, I, I mean, I like to think that I, I had big bridges and was a big fish in a <laughs> pond, but now you can say that to anybody online. You can yeah, just put your Twitter comment. Right. Without any re- reciprocation, no one will call sure. you out on it. No one's going to tell you, hey, you know, maybe think about this or maybe hear the rebuttal. Uh, it, it's very hard now because we, we have this echo chamber that we're all throwing into that in the end, doesn't necessarily solve anything, but at the very least, it does represent voices. But it, it, there does come that point for us if we're talking about just like the nuance of everything, where sometimes I sit back and I think, um, and this is something, <laughs> this is a very old fashioned thing, but I can always tell if someone has never been punched in the face. <laughs> right? Do you, know, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, or, or punched anybody in the face. Or like punched punched emotionally. Yeah, yeah. You know, or like- That's so funny. And as you said, like <laughs> the threat of someone who you are close to, like actually just completely leaving you. Yeah. Like, um, I, I I don't think that a lot of people think about um, the sort of, ri- the, 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 the ripple effect <laughs> of anything they say or do and how that affects the- the real world where, sure. where things are, what is that statement you're making and how does that apply once you enter the workforce? Once you yeah. come across people who are going to not only be against you, but might be above you in some way, in yeah. some way that's not valid, but it might just be the way the system is. And it's very hard because sometimes you have to, I hope that they can adapt as fast as we adapted. Because when I entered even place like Buzzfeed, I knew exactly like how to maneuver you know, mm-hmm. I, I could, I could dodge, I could, I could work things to like make my voice heard, but also know when to duck my head down there. And the same thing of being a waiter, the same thing of being in Hollywood, uh, the same thing being Korean American or uh, Presbyterian, you know, we, there was danger involved and we were, we were understanding sh- yeah. where did, and I don't think anyone should have to feel like they should tiptoe, but unfortunately that's the reason you are yelling on Twitter is because people are being killed or hurt because of the things that you're angry about. Mm-hmm. But you have to know and see that firsthand in some way to then know that sometimes you have to take the deft hand. And that's why, weirdly, me leading with honey instead of the hammer has become my most powerful asset. Weirdly, I realize at some point, maybe I can enact more change in people by luring them into this idea that this queer Asian boy is mainstream. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. the premise of stand-up comedy is exactly. like, I will change your mind, but you will be laughing so you won't even notice it's happening. And I never knew I had that power. Yeah. And I think that's when I completely accepted this idea where I was just so resistant for anyone saying mm-hmm. you're a YouTuber, you're digital. I was just like, no, I'm a filmmaker who's who has a detour, <laughs> a slight detour. I'm going to get back on the freeway. But that moment where I had kids who walked up to me in the market or on the street and they're five and they know who I am and they say, Oh, I love this. And I love this. And I, and they're, they're speaking about what I said about Asian culture or gay culture that I just like very, like I just tossed and sprinkled into this video that wasn't even about it. Exactly. (laughs) Everything that the, the far right is afraid of. I'm like totally enacting, but it is, it is the truth in which um, I found that maybe there is this way that you can work the system and the way the mainstream is by being smart. And sometimes by being as smart as you can, you have to have the facts. You have to have your own personal perspective on it. And sometimes you can't go in with the hammer. You can't go in breaking people down before you understand what you're breaking down, who you're breaking it down for. And 
that was weirdly maybe where I, you know, I, I would have been a perfect Gen Zer, you know, this I was also, an angry little kid. I was going to say though, this is interesting because I do think that this is a conversation to me. It's very clear that this is a conversation between two people in their thirties. Like yeah. if I think about this, because th there, this is not new in history also like no. the, like, you know, young people have kind of always been marching in the streets and mm -hmm. you and I are, we're like not, we don't fall under the category of young people anymore. We're like no. adults, yeah. you know? Um, and I think that it is really, you know, even in, in us talking like, and starting from this place of like, you've like this, this sort of like the two of us sitting next to each other on a porch being like, you gotta remember that <laughs> like where we came from and everything. And I just realized, you know, that's not how I was. I was like out there cracking skulls and everything. And, um, it was through time and experience that I realized how I wanted to proceed. And I actually am now ending this conversation feeling like very grateful for where I am, very mm -hmm. grateful for where you are, and also like very grateful for the reactionary young people yeah. who are like going to continue to fight this fight that like I am currently going to fight in a different way. Like that actually yeah. makes me feel really awesome. And then it also makes me feel really awesome thinking about like our queer elders who are just like, you know, sipping tea and being like, um, I already fought for all of your rights for fucking decades, you know? Yeah. And so I just think it's, I don't know. I'm kind of just struck right now by the beauty of the way that humanity, um, yeah, I think continues. It's, it's very cyclical. Yeah. I think we were, we were having our sort of like, uh, our geriatric moments, our social. But I like love moments. it. I love that. Yeah, yeah. I and do then think realizing that, like, oh, thank God, someone else wants to be out there fighting. Yeah, and I think that well, I don't want. To, I mean, uh, first, but and I foremost, will totally yeah. donate and organize yes. and do. I will do the things that thirty that people in their thirties do. And um, and maybe we got on this conversation because the the industry I'm, I'm in is so much more um youth facing. Yeah. And I think that what's interesting is that although I have some of my personal grievances where I, I wish that I could help, you know, get people to a place where they feel like they are completely equipped with the fight that they want to go into. Um, maybe it's just part of, uh, the cycle of growing up. Yeah, and I think so. I'm hoping that the way the internet is can support how these young people voices evolve and not let it feel like that they're constantly feeling alone and attacked and separated. Um, because in the end if it, if I think my one big takeaway is always, if this environment keeps people just stuck on their phone and computer and not finding that community outside of Twitter, it, it'll be hard. It'll be harder. Cause the one thing we had was the fact that I, I could walk away from a computer because I wasn't tied to it's it. It's true. But yeah. I also watched TV by myself, like a weirdo and like, well, I still do that. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I think like, I think you're totally right to point that out. And I also would just say that I think some of this is not, you know, some of the isolation stuff that we find now, it's just like we isolated in different ways. Like we lived on farms yeah. or we didn't speak the same language. And or we're just like we're, classically we're, depressed. Or we're classically depressed. I, that's the one thing there I always joke about. They're like, uh, <laughs> Eugene, did you experience like digital isolation? I was like, nah, I was just really depressed. Yeah, exactly. We, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I just sat in my backyard and stared at this guy. That's exactly like, right. One day I'll get out of this <laughs> shitty town. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like read books, you know, alone. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's a book, but like I'm still fucking alone. And um, anyway, the whole point of, I'm saying you know, just to kind of wrap this up and then I want to ask you about Aquiro is amidst all of that, 
it does matter that people are having the opportunity to see and get to know you. I didn't grow up with a you in my life. I mean, or on my TV, like Margaret Cho didn't get to write her queerness into all American girl. And that was the only, that was the only representation, you know? So like, um, she had to unfurl that over the rest of the decades of her career. And, um, it's just very cool to have you out there being yourself. I think it has to, it has to be helpful. Yeah. And I'm hoping that that's maybe the legacy of, of, you know, all the things that we are talking about with nuance and yeah. the way that the, the digital world is, I think the the visibility is first and foremost so important. And it's really awesome that kids are getting to see people like us or yeah. hear people like us in this moment. And that only can come with more discussion, more debate. And, you know, maybe they're just, maybe I'm just mad because they're so much fucking smarter than me. <laughs> <laughs> or because you're like out there, you're out there, uh, Weeding through those comments and like, honestly, I'm going to just, I'm going to send you extra energy and love. Thank you. Um, Before I send you back into your day, I just wanted to ask you if you wanted to shout out a queero, which is a person, place, or thing that made you feel like you can be who you are today. God, you know, I think, um, I think my, my queerness was always intrinsically tied with my, my Asian-ness. Namely because both were seen as like their hand in hand. Uh, I was seen as othered growing up, but Asian was first visually. I couldn't get away from that. Um, queerness, I had to hide a little bit longer, but it was always intrinsically connected. And I'd say weirdly, uh, this is the funny story. Um, Ming-Na Wen, who voiced Mulan, uh, I met her and Margaret Cho, of course, shouted Margaret Cho. Fucking love Margaret Cho. Um, Ming-Na was at a... a award show I was at and I almost cried in front of her and I never have that. I'm a very emotionally stunted person. Again, super depressive, but uh, <laughs> I almost cried when I saw her and just spilled out of me because I just started talking about how important Mulan was. Mulan was really important for um, Asian kids in America because we didn't have anything Asian uh, besides all American girl, but we also didn't have anything queer in Asian and there was something very subversive about Mulan that even Disney yes. didn't have their minds around. They just yes. you watch that back now and you're like, this is a very important part of queer American cinema because she she literally just completely destroyed all gender boundaries. Also, in that Be movie. a Man is the title of that song. Isn't that yes. the title of that song? Yeah. Uh, and it's it's a Disney princess film. Uh-huh. And I know we're going to have a lot of stuff with, with Elsa. Wait, did she whole- do the – she did the – she did the singing too. No, I think the that was, was Leah. Leah yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I thought that was true. I just well, I'd also to make probably sure. fangirl over, yeah. but I think, yeah, I think Ming Na Wen and just the character of Mulan in that moment for me as a kid was really important. I didn't realize it at the time, but I think that sort of deconstruction of gender roles for me, especially coming from the conservative background we're talking about, was very, very uh, eye-opening. Yeah. Because it's not something that I was aware of. I, I didn't know that a girl could dress up like a man and be fine. I didn't know that one could find their story through uh, bucking what your parents told you was the way you should look or behave or act or dress. Um, and they managed to do that with, oh God, I don't know. I don't. I, they don't even know, I think, how much that affected queer kids. I completely can see your point and I totally I mean I'm I'm like just on the edge I'm 37 so I'm just on the edge of like Mulan would have maybe come out when like my little sister who's 30 yeah was more watching it but I certainly remember um 
being affected by seeing it. Obviously different because I'm a white person. And uh, But something that, like, still strikes me is um, because culturally not Everybody has like long hair in that movie. Yeah, like just the positioning of her, the cha- the way she changes the position of her, like from her like ponytail or mm-hmm. whatever to like the top knot. Yeah, like I just mean in terms of queerness and yeah, gender she presentation. She literally chops off her hair with a sword. She chops off her hair yeah. with a sword, but I but also just like that. It's, um, I guess what I mean is. In Disney prior to that, it's literally like so like binary, like yeah. this or this. And exactly. she chops off her hair with her sword, but then she still has like I guess I'm just trying to say like it's not the men in that movie don't look like men that I that I saw. Yeah. And the the woman in that movie doesn't look like women that I saw. There's some like gender fuckage going on just yeah. by nature of um seeing like an Eastern culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, that in and of itself with different gender norms, when you introduce different gender norms into like American gender norms, it just makes you think, oh, like maybe none, all of this is made up because yeah. there's gender norms here that are different than gender norms here, you know? Which in the end, then you're just like, well, what the fuck are we even talking about? Then? Exactly. When you look at the Asian gender norms and everyone's like, wow, that guy has long hair. But then, yeah. you know, the Asians are some, I mean, East Asians, me speaking, speaking personally, are some of the most patriarchal people. Yes. So it is very interesting because in the end, we're like, what are we even what, looking what at? What means anything? What are we doing? Exactly. That's yeah. kind of what Why I'm can't people saying? just live their lives? Yes. Your hair could be short. It could be yeah. long. Just do your thing. And I think Mulan in the end was a very because it was also one of the first ethnic Disney princesses. It was a very pivotal moment for, I think, a lot of kids. I don't know how many queeros you've had that are animated characters, but... I love that. I, I love it. I love it. That's, that's love, my queero, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> wow, that's beautiful. Yeah, what a good... What a good... I gotta go rewatch it. But yeah, anyway. Yeah, it's a good it's a good rewatch. All the songs are, like, literally playing also, like, this idea Also, like, do drag kings perform to be a man? Because if not... uh. I just like to suggest one. it. I would just like to suggest that to a drag king. Well, uh, last story is that I, I uh, only was inducted into doing drag on occasion by my drag mother, Mayhem Miller, who was on RuPaul's Drag Race. She was in a Try Guys video. It was like the fifth video we did. And then I, you know, me being a gay man, I just kept a relationship with her. I see her all the time out at the bars. And um, she'll like have me perform occasionally just because, you know, only if she blesses it. It's not a real profession for me, but it's a, a passion that I think is really fantastic and amazing. Um and when I performed for her birthday, her birthday theme is 90s night. So I didn't know what to do, but I was getting styling from other people who were helping me. And I ended up looking very, like, very Asian, very, like, rich, crazy rich Asians, Michelle Yeoh mom. And then so I said, uh, can I perform something from Milan? And she goes, yeah. And then I said, can I perform Be a Man? Is it okay to do a, a male voice song? Oh she, God, goes, yes. she goes, I'm a drag queen. Do you think we care about male versus I'm female? I'm so glad you've done this. So that was my performance. There's a video of me performing, but not of hearing it because, you know, copyright on YouTube. But that was my choice of song was Be a Man. I was going to do Reflection, but I said, no, there's way more gender fuckery with, with uh, Be a Man. Also, like, yes. Yeah, full woman singing that song with male voice. Are you going like, to perform again sometime soon? You, you know, know, I do it for uh, Halloween, birthdays, and whenever my drag mom asks me to. Okay. So I think I'm still in the in the drag tourism phase because, yeah, of course, I understand. any drag queen will say the last time I'll ever do drag is on Halloween. That's for all of you. Sure, sure, you, yes. You plebs. Yes. But um, no, it'll come back. I think for me, it's, it's become more of a... Uh, a mode of public expression that I think that really expresses exactly what I'm trying to say about my identity and about, I think, a larger point about queerness, which well, is... I'd just love to see it. Yeah. No, you will. I'll I invite will, you next I time I'd like I'm to out. come. I'm serious. Yeah. Uh, that would be great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being thank here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Really appreciate your time. Thank you.